This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, head of marketing here at Brella, and I'm here with my chief revenue officer, Mike Cirillo, for Better Benefits, episode number 20. Today, our guest is Lindsay Pollock. Lindsay is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's leading career and workplace experts. You know, we've heard from so many guests on this show how important it is to tailor your benefit offering to your employees' real needs. Dick Mucci, back in episode three, talked about the fact that employees' needs are always changing. And Carolyn McMahon more recently shared the importance of seeking out input from the people who you don't usually hear from, not just the folks who always, you know, raise their concerns. So, Mike, I was really excited when you brought up the idea of having Lindsay join us because she's really got her finger on the pulse of today's changing workforce. How did you and Lindsay get connected? Hey, Laura. Yes. Well, first off, very quickly, 20 episodes. How awesome is that? That's 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 pretty pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So yeah, we are really lucky to have Lindsay here with us today. And I'm, I'm glad she said yes to my invitation. I met Lindsay several years ago, I think. I think it was back in 2012 when she worked with my prior company as a millennial workplace expert. And I, like many other colleagues, were really impressed by her awareness of the fast-evolving employee dynamics at that time, and more importantly, her ability to really convey those views in a clear and compelling manner. And we never hesitated to, to put Lindsay in front of brokers or employers just because she was really well thought out about her messaging and it was really on point. And and her point of view, whether it's through presentations or her best-selling books, have really helped articulate the challenges and opportunities of a multi-generational workforce. And she's defended the millennials and she's helped employers understand how to work with and develop the rising Gen Z employee population. So I'm really excited to have her here with us today because I think her work can really help inform broker advisors and employers when thinking about shaping their benefit offerings to make sure that they work for a diverse employee workforce. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm really excited to hear you know what she has to share with us today. So why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Lindsay? Okay, my pleasure. And as I mentioned, Lindsay Pollack is a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, and expert on today's ever-changing multi-generational workforce. Her most recent book, Recalculating, is an inspirational, practical, and a forward-looking career playbook for recent graduates, career changers, and those transitioning professionals who are looking to survive and thrive in today's rapidly evolving employment landscape. Lindsay, it's so great to reconnect, and it's really great to have you here with us today. Welcome to the show. Mike, thank you so much. I really appreciate you asking, and congratulations on 20 episodes. Thank you. It's really, uh, really awesome. And we're glad to have you here with, with, with us today. So why don't you share with our audience, Lindsay, a little bit more about your journey and, and how you became, I'll use the word, fascinated with careers in, in the multi-generational workplace. 
Sure. It was not a straight path, as many people's careers are not. I was an RA my senior year of college, which I kind of consider my origin story, an RA and a tour guide. So I love to sort of mentor and guide people through experiences that I had already had. I really enjoyed kind of taking my lessons and mistakes and and helping other people. And I think that really informs my career. So my first job out of school um, was really hard to find. I really struggled to find my path. And I ended up at a website called workingwoman.com. Some people might know the former magazine Working Woman because I just became really interested in how people figure out what to do with their lives. I was a really good student, but had trouble with that transition. And so that led to writing my first book, Getting from College to Career, which was really about writing the book I wish I had had at that specific transition of my early career. And that was really kind of the business. I went around to college campuses. I was a spokesperson for LinkedIn on college campuses, helping students join LinkedIn and understand the value of that. And people, you know, were supportive, but thought, oh, how cute, you know, she helps young people. And the real transition point, which you know from your work at a a former company, is when this word millennial kind of exploded onto the scene around 2008. And companies started to reach out to me and say, we hear that you speak to college students, that you understand them, you know, can you help us do the same? And that was kind of when I had this aha moment that what I was seeing in the younger generations and college students and in their transition was really very different than my generation and previous. So since then, I've really become just so fascinated by generational differences Primarily how social media and technology has really changed the expectations of younger generations about their careers, about their benefits, about their career pathing, their financial realities. And now I think with the pandemic and this new book, Recalculating, it's all kind of changing again. And I think we're going to see a lot more attention on generational differences in the workplace because the pandemic and the sort of economic fallout means that people are going to be working a lot longer. We're going to have a lot more diversity in age ranges in the workplace. And a lot of people who kind of never plan to change careers are finding themselves in a position that they maybe didn't expect. So a lot of the lessons I learned in the early career space are are kind of applying more broadly. So that's how I got interested. I'm a Gen Xer myself. I always out myself as, as having that perspective, but I'm just really interested, not in the problems or challenges of generational differences, but really how employers and individuals can see it as a great opportunity to build success by understanding these generational differences. That's great. I just want to add that I read recently that I'm now known as a geriatric millennial. I'm the <laughs> oldest millennial there is. Yes, that is a new a new distinction. I think Oregon trail generation and, and zennial are the other words for you, but geriatric millennial <laughs> seems to have, have caught people's attention. Yeah. I was like, oh, thanks for that. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I want to dig a little bit deeper, you know, into some of your your work and your your insights about the multi-generational workforce. And I know that 2020 was a complete and total head trip for everyone. You know, a lot of our audience is is employers. And so I want to ask you what employers need to know about the changing workforce, but I kind of want to take this in two parts because I feel like there are probably things that they needed to know before 2020 hit us and then new things that have happened that you address in your in your most recent book that just came on the scene in the last 12 months. So If I asked you before 2020, what do employers need to know about the changing workforce, what would you have said? 
It's a great distinction. And I think what's really changed is how fast this is happening. Like many people have said, the pandemic really accelerated trends that were already in place. So the headline prior to COVID would have been, for the first time in history, we have five generations in the workplace, Gen Z, millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, and traditionalists. And the reason that we have that five-generation workplace is not because young people are entering, because young people have entered the workplace forever. The difference is that people are working significantly later into their lives. So we have more Americans over the age of 85 working today than ever before in history. And I just saw a great tweet. I saved it for your show. I saw a tweet yesterday that said, like this year, this was a reporter named Matt Visor. This year has seen the oldest president take office, Joe Biden, the oldest quarterback win a Super Bowl, Tom Brady, and the oldest golfer win a major PGA championship, Phil Mickelson. So people are succeeding and thriving much longer than we ever expected before. And so that means that young people coming in number one, have a pipeline issue, right? Where jobs are not being evacuated by people retiring. And older people have to think of careers as maybe 40 or 50 years, as opposed to previous generations. So that impacts employers, that impacts individuals in their careers, um, that really impacts all of us. So I think that was the story prior to COVID. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it. it, Well, first off, I I, I love the tweet because it it really is a great illustration of the point that you just made. And I have to admit, I I think I I agree that folks are working longer, but I I would have said that the five-generation workplace was that there was just far more younger employees entering. And it's just a good reminder that that, that's actually not the case, right? I I think it's interesting to just sort of tie back to that perspective and, and really kind of put it into view that, yeah, we do have folks that are working a lot longer than they, they ever have before. I mean, it's really just a good reminder. And I think the post-COVID story is similar, right? Because a lot of people who were planning to retire maybe can't now or, or took early retirement. You know, it's really changed a lot of people's plans. I think what's really different now is somewhat related to the generational story, but it's really about life stage. And I think there's been a lot more attention to how people's home circumstances, whether it's childcare or elder care or having a disability or having you know any kind of responsibilities in the home is really something that we absolutely have to take into account. So we can't just look at somebody's age. We have to look at their life circumstances and their life stage when we're assessing what they need as employees. And, and that can be very different. You know, Just to give an example, you know, we have more multi-generational homes now because of COVID. So whereas you might have thought that somebody was at home because they had a young child, somebody might need benefits because they're at home because they have their children and their grandchildren living with them. And that might have been something we didn't see as much before the pandemic. So I think it's just adding life stage in addition to generation as a quality of diversity that we have to consider very seriously. That's really smart because, you know, it may be children, but you may be also taking care of aging parents. And that's a whole season that has really different needs than if you're just newly married, perhaps. Yeah, Lindsay, I'm just curious. So this this idea of life stage and life circumstances, I, I like the way you articulated that. And, and I'm curious, as you sort of played back the last 12 months and, and think about where, where we are there, how have like other audiences, you know, that you've engaged with, whether they be employers or, you know, employees in in the workplace, how how have folks sort of maybe rallied around that theme? And from your perspective, do you feel like 
the world around us is making sense of that now? I'm going to take the optimistic view, Mike, and I my concern is is whether this lasts or not. But during the really sort of toughest months of the pandemic, I saw a lot of empathy. I had so many calls with leaders who who maybe had grown children out of the house, who watched their employees with toddlers running around, right, or a, a relative in the hospital, and said, "Wow, I get it. That must be so hard." Right, or they heard from their young employees who were living alone in tiny urban apartments who said, I'm really lonely and isolated. I think that we saw into other people's life circumstances in a way that, you know, not that we ignored it or, or weren't sympathetic before, but we just didn't see it. And so I think if we can continue to have that empathy that you never know what somebody is dealing with at home and you have to be. You know, I just keep using the word empathetic to the fact that people have things going on that we might not be aware of and we need to provide support for. I think that that can be really powerful. So I would say increased empathy, even just to give another example. I do a lot of work in the college to career transition, and I saw a lot of empathy in the companies that offered internships or entry level positions saying, wow, it must be really hard to be a senior in college you know, in 2020, you know, last year and have to graduate into this and miss your graduation. Let's support these kids. Let's help them. Let's make sure we pay them even though we canceled our internship. So I hope that that continues and we don't just kind of go back to saying, ah, whatever, you know, everybody will be fine, but to realize that people have circumstances that we might not be aware of. So Lindsay, I'm curious what you think, you know, given all of this that's been going on, you know, what do employees need more of given sort of the new normal that we're moving into? I think there are two headlines that I would give to employers thinking about benefits, thinking about training, thinking about culture. And the first theme is choice, which is something we've been talking about for years, which is we are going to have people who want to work remotely, people who want to come into the office, people who want this hybrid situation, whatever that turns out to be. There are probably going to be flare-ups where kids are out of school. I just think that I always worry that people are looking for a one-size-fits-all solution. I can't tell you how often, Mike, we've been talking about this for a decade. People would say, Lindsay, what is the one employee benefit that every generation wants? It's like there isn't an answer to that, right? You have to have options. And I think that the more we can expand the options, not infinite options, but more than one or two options for people's work schedules, for the benefits they need, for the support wellness opportunities they need, I think choice is going to be really critical and expanding those choices. And if I had to pick one theme of where people are going to need the most support, I think mental health and well-being are so critical. I think that beyond the the health pandemic, I think the mental health toll on parents, on single adults, on people who've been sick themselves or had a family member who was sick or passed away, I think that we have to understand that that grief, that challenge, that, you know, whatever the consequences are of this year and a half of difficulty are really going to seep into the workplace. And the more companies provide support for mental health and well-being and just health overall, I think we cannot go back to business as usual. That's going to be just a glaring need in workplaces all around the world. Yeah, I love that 
sort of commentary on choice, right? You know, we, we've talked about that forever as well. And it, and it is really difficult for employers and broker advisors and really everyone in that ecosystem to, you know, manage the administrative aspects and burdens that come with too broad of a, a, a benefits portfolio. But on the other hand, when you think about all of the diverse needs in today's workplace magnified by, you know, the impacts of the last 12 months, it's become a necessity. So I, I really, really appreciate those comments and also appreciate your, your thoughts around just me- mental health benefits and supporting, you know, folks there. I'm, I'm curious, if we go back to COVID, right, and the, what we've sort of experienced over the last 12 months, do, do you see any long-term effects on that when you sort of think out over the next, you know, several years? I know we talked a little bit about, you know, what folks need maybe today, given the new normal, but what about longer term? Any, any thoughts there, Lindsay? I do. And I'm so afraid to make predictions because inevitably they'll be wrong. But what I think is when I think about generational differences and why they matter, right? We're all human beings, right? It doesn't mean we're fundamentally different humans. But the reason I think generational differences are a helpful lens to look through, particularly as an employer, is it gives you a sense of people's expectations, right? As a woman, if I walked into an insurance agency in 2021, my expectation of how many women are in leadership is going to be very different than if I walked into an insurance agency in 1950, right? So that changes over time, the experiences that you've shared and what you expect. I think that the impact of COVID long-term is it has fundamentally changed our expectations around work. We now know that anyone who says nobody gets anything done working remotely, we now know that's not true. People worked and were productive and thrived working remotely. We now know that some people really liked working remotely and some people found it incredibly isolating and bad for their mental health. So people now, they're not guessing what that experience was. They have real expectations about that. So I think that when you sit at a table and say something like, you know, what hours are reasonable or, you know, what kind of internship program are we going to have or what should we offer to our employees? We now have a broader set of experiences to draw on for what's possible and what isn't. Now, a company can make a choice and say, we understand people can work remotely, but we don't want to. That's a choice, but we can no longer say, well, we can't do that because we don't know what's going to happen. So I think it's changed the data we can draw on to make decisions about employee culture and products and services and so on. Yep. I, I think that's great. And, and again, just really incredible insights on that. I, maybe I'll put you a bit on the spot. I know you mentioned that you're you know, engaging with, with leaders quite a bit, you know, and there's sort of one path around sort of leadership when you think about employers and that's, you know, the benefits to offer and your policies on remote work and, you know, all of the other kind of sort of say the administrative component to, you know, leading, running, you know, managing a business. I'm curious though, as you've, you've engaged, you alluded to it a bit with empathy, but I'm just curious, have you sensed a leadership change in how leaders might approach how they may operate in this new world? Yes. And the biggest change that I have noticed is, I'm trying to think of the right word, is a just sort of dawning on leaders that they have no choice now but to be transparent, right? So more access to leaders, more willingness to answer questions honestly. I think that the sort of idea that you could sit in a corner office and make decisions, you know, in isolation is gone. And I think the companies. The leaders who were very accessible to their employees and very transparent with them and communicating all the time 
I think did very well during the pandemic and have had good retention and, you know, positive feedback and evaluations. I think that the leaders who kind of hid from their employees did not do well. So I would say increased transparency and communication has been a, a positive leadership outcome for a lot of a lot of organizations. Do you have you seen that as well? Would you agree? Yeah. Well, I think if you write the book on leadership, right, you, you might say that, you know, the best leaders are empathetic. They are transparent. They are accessible. You know, they're able to connect and relate to, you know, folks that they they work with. And and maybe, you know, as leaders take on more responsibility and manage a lot more on their plates, it, it might be over time easy to kind of fall away from some of those key attributes. But if you think about pandemics, the COVID pandemic, we've talked about it a fair amount, I think, on the show. There there appears to be silver linings all over the place, right? And in my mind, if the COVID environment has forced our leaders to get back to some of those really good key leadership attributes, that's a win. Like that's a really powerful output or, or of, of what we've kind of come through. So again, I, I, I love the perspective there. And, and I think you know, we all sort of play a part in that in the way in which we engage and, and work in our respective environments. And and those are just attributes that just make sense, whether you're in a pandemic or not. But if it just now requires us to be a little more in tune with those, then again, I think our our teams benefit from it. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Couldn't agree more. A lot of this stuff is basic. You just have to put an emphasis on it and make sure it's a priority. Good stuff. Well, Lindsay, I, I want you to, I'm going to move on to our last question. And I want you to tell us a bit about your book, Recalculating, and the inspiration for that. And then, because we we always ask for a book or a resource, and I, I think it would, I think we would be missing out if we didn't hear a bit about that. And then I also want you to tell us about a resource or a book that had a big impact on your personal growth that uh, that you can recommend to our listeners. Sure. Thank you, Laura, for the opportunity. So when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, in addition to writing and consulting with companies, I'm a professional speaker. That is the bulk of my work. And I went from having a completely booked calendar of events and a full travel schedule to absolutely zero speaking events on my calendar. No exaggeration. Yeah. And it was scary. And my instinct when things happen like that is, you know, what are other people doing? I've got to write about this. You know, I can't be the only one. And so I started reaching out to people and asking, you know, to other speakers and and corporate people, what are you doing? How are you handling this? How are you driving business? And truly, I was looking out my window in New York City and I saw cars on the street and I just had this sort of bolt of feeling like that moment when you're driving your car and you take a wrong turn or you hit a a roadblock and your GPS says recalculating. And I just thought, wow, it's like I'm sitting in my car and my GPS said, nope, you can't go the way you've been going. You're going to have to find another way. And I've had a terrible time naming all my other books, but with this book, the the title Recalculating came first. And I, I really kind of went down thinking about that metaphor of the GPS saying recalculating. And I actually ultimately found it very optimistic because when your GPS says recalculating, it's basically saying there's another way you can go, right? You don't have to stop. You can reassess. You can go a different way. You can find another path. And there's always another path. Um, and, And so I started to talk to people about what they were doing. And I ultimately found writing this book, teaching online, doing more coaching. I found ways when there was no live speaking to recalculate. And when I really talked to people who I admired, 
whether they were entrepreneurs like me or in corporate or, or what have you, the people who I think have been doing well, frankly, in the 21st century, but specifically since COVID, are the people who are always recalculating, right? Who are always looking for new opportunity, who are always rejiggering what they do, who are always learning, who are always experimenting, right? Recalculating is not sort of hitting a fork in the road and saying, do I go left or right? It's about kind of constantly pivoting and, you know, not to exhaustion, but just to say, I have to always kind of keep my eyes open. And and I think people who understand the multi-generational workplace are also excited to learn about new generations, excited to talk to people of different ages. It's not a burden, it's an opportunity. And um, the entire book is really stories and examples and advice of people who take that you know, metaphor and are just always looking to do things differently. They never get stuck in their ways. They're not resistant to change. And they really embrace the fact that, you know, we're in a a very different environment where you have to be kind of constantly moving forward and adjusting. And I think the people I most admire are not the ones who just move forward in a straight line up a ladder. They're people who take it all in and, and try new things. And sometimes they fail and sometimes they succeed, but you know, they're not stuck. And I think that that's probably the most important factor in who was able to succeed in this very strange year we've been through and, and who's remained stuck. That's fascinating. It sounds like a, a resource for for all of us. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the description, you know, we're not necessarily all recent grads or job seekers in the formal sense, but we are transitioning professionals because we have to transition. We have no other choice. So that sounds really, really fascinating and really, really useful right now. Thank you. Okay. So I have to ask you about the other book or resource that's had a big impact on you and your professional growth. Sure. I'm going to pick the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. She studies growth mindset, which a lot of people are have become familiar with now. They're even teaching it in, in schools these days. But the idea of growth mindset is um, the opposite of a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset says something like, I'm not good at math, or I'm just not artistic, right? I don't like change. It'll never change. This is the way it is. And a growth mindset says, I can get a little better at anything. I can take a positive approach. I can grow. I can change. And I actually wrote the entire first chapter of recalculating about the importance of mindset because I was really intrigued by the people where the pandemic came and they said, well, there's a pandemic, you know, I'm never going to be successful. Right. And that was a fixed mindset. And then there were the people who said, there's got to be some opportunity here right? What can I learn from this? How can I grow? And I think that the more we adopt a growth mindset, the more we see the possibilities, you know, the more we're going to succeed. It's true in children. It's true in adults. It's true in business. So I think that in this sort of crazy world that we're all living in and who knows what the future is going to look like, I think that growth mindset is just really essential. So Mindset by Carol Dweck. That's a great, I think, way to, to wrap up our conversation today. You know, it's almost like everything that we've discussed so far has been about that that growth mindset. What are the silver linings? What are the things that can and should evolve about the way we work together and our benefits offerings and how it's all stitched together? I think given the new circumstances, these are going to be really, really important tools for navigating that. So um, Lindsay, I really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your insights with us. It's been a, a great chat with you. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. Thank you, Mike, as well. Thank you. All right. So, Mike, a lot of food for thought in this conversation. I'm wondering what's sticking out for you. 
Well, there's a lot. And again, I, I think, as we said at the beginning of the show, you know, Lindsay is just so articulate in her thoughts around a number of different components here. And, and some of it's good reminders, some of it's just good learnings or insights that maybe we, we hadn't known before. So let's see. I'm going to start with this sort of refocus on key leadership attributes, where we talked about empathy and transparency and accessibility. You know, in, in our our workforces, you know, the, especially the fact that they're so multi-generational now, they, they do need good leadership, right? Our teams need leaders that understand their needs, understands, you know, how folks are, are changing and, and, and what those needs are, whether it be in developing a benefits program or a policy or just good old-fashioned support in the workforce. I think that was a really good topic and another, as we said, silver lining to the world we find ourselves in. If we can get our leaders back to those attributes like that, then, then I think our teams win. And then the other thing was just uh, right here towards the end, and and I I love the scrappiness. I guess I'll use to, to sort of think through. Okay, how did the pandemic impact Lindsay specifically? How did she recalculate in her own mind? And now, how is she able to share that in a way that uh, brings a message around finding another path with others? Right. So it's just it's just such a resourceful way of, of, I think, how she's wired and, and a good reminder for us all that there is always other paths that we can take. How about for you? Yeah, that's right. I mean, just building on what you said, we heard in 2020 that employers were hesitant to make major changes to benefits just because there was so much economic uncertainty in the marketplace and nobody knew what was going to happen in those very early stages. But I think now that we are moving into a little bit more of a maturity and in our understanding of the pandemic and its dynamics, how to work inside of it. You know, it'll be interesting to see how employers think about recalculating benefits for this sort of new normal that we find ourselves in. I thought what was really fascinating that Lindsay brought up in the very beginning was this idea of five generations at work together. And what's ironic too, and and she didn't say it this way, but what I noticed in our conversation was that actually you have even more generations sort of retired and aging parents and grandparents, as well as young kids who are sort of with you at work if you're working at home. And so somehow through this this year of working at home, this all these meetings with with Zoom and and other family members and pets in the background, you know, it really does breed more empathy because you realize that we really all are in this together. And and it was interesting too, that it's not because new people are entering the workforce that we have so many new generations at work. It's because older folks are staying around longer and working longer and having more longevity in their careers. And so that's why we, we have this kind of diversity happening. And, and that's why we need to embrace the opportunities that that brings. So I thought what she also said that was really practical about like, so what do we do about that, right? I love that she said to focus on the life stage, not necessarily just age, to assess needs. You know, I started my career working at The Knot, and if you, doesn't matter if you're 40 or you're 20, if you're getting married, suddenly there's all these different needs, purchase decisions, and and you're going through the same process, but it's your life stage, not your age, that makes a difference. And so I really related to what she said there, you know, that it's about when you have young children at home or when you have 
grown children or when you're caring for your parents or whatever that life stage may be, that's going to certainly have a huge impact on your needs from a benefits perspective and offering choices, not infinite choices, but choices tailored to specific life stages or in marketing, in my field, we would say personas, that's going to help us get our arms around what's really necessary for folks and making sure they have access to the types of solutions that will that will deliver on the promise of benefits, you know, which is to shield them from financial risk and get them access to healthcare and things like that. And I think her, her, her emphasis on focusing on mental health is, is consistent with what we've heard across the board and what we're seeing a lot in, in the media today. I think everybody is more aware than ever that mental health care and access to care and affordability of care for mental health is going to be really, really important as we look ahead. Yep. Agreed. All well said. So if you'd like to connect with Lindsay, you can visit her website at lindsaypollock.com. That's Lindsay with an E-Y-P-O-L-L-A-K.com. And I'll put a link to that in our show notes. If you want to get in touch with Mike or learn more about Brella, visit our website at joinbrella.com or email us at sales at joinbrella.com. Thanks so much, folks. It was a great conversation today. We'll see you next week. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.